0: Peace be upon you. So one of the most conniving tricks that the devil has pulled on the masses is to distort what it means to commit idol worship or shirk in Arabic. The devil has convinced the masses that idol worship is limited to bowing and prostrating to some statue or claiming that some other entity is a god beside God. That anything short of that, they consider not to be idol worship. But what we find in the Quran is that idol worship is a lot more subtle than what it's made out to be. And there's one verse that pretty much encompasses all the different forms of idol worship. And this verse is Surah 3, verse 64, and it specifies three different forms of idol worship. It reads, say, O followers of the scripture, let us come to a logical agreement between us and you that we shall not worship except God. That we never associate anything with him, nor take others as lords beside God, if they turn away, say, Bear witness that we are submitters. This verse specifies three distinct ways that one can fall into idol worship. The first method is that of worshiping other than God, the second one is associating anything else in conjunction with God. And the third is setting up Lord's besides God. And if we fall into any of these three, then we may be committing idol worship. And God says that this is the one unforgivable sin if maintained until death. And if people don't identify when they fall into idol worship, then therefore they will never repent and reform. And because of that, all their good deeds may be nullified. So God willing, in this episode, we're going to look at these three forms. And try to understand them in more in depth to make sure that we are not committing idol worship in our lives, in which case, again, all our good deeds will be nullified. So the first form is that we do not worship other than God. The Quran specifies different idols that people can have. And most people, when you think about idols, they think again about these deities uh, you know, the people of Abraham worshiping statues, uh, the people who are worshiping Jesus. But God tells us that idols are a lot more subtle than that. So, for instance, it talks about children as idols. In Surah 7, verse 190, it talks about the individuals, the couples, they, and they implore God for a good child. And it reads, But when He gives them a good baby, they turn His gift into an idol that rivals Him. God be exalted far above any partnership so this shows i mean obviously someone is not bowing and prostrating to their uh, baby you know they're not setting up a shrine for their baby so this shows that idol worship setting up a rival uh, an idol next to god again is something more subtle other examples of idols specified in the quran is that of jinns so in Surah 6 verse 100 it reads yet they set up beside god idols from among the jinns Though he is the one who created them, they even attribute to him sons and daughters without any knowledge. Be he glorified, he is the most high, far above their claims. We see in another example that the idols that many people implore upon are creatures just like us. It says, the idols you invoke beside God are creatures like you. Go ahead and call upon them. Let them respond to you if you are right. And this was Surah 7, verse 194. We see that if someone thinks that they can have an intercessor between them and God, that this too is another form of idol worship. This is in Surah 10 verse 18. It reads, They worship beside God idols that possess no power to harm them or benefit them. And they say, these are our intercessors at God. Say, are you informing God of something he does not know in the heavens and the earth? Be he glorified. He is the most high, far above needing partners. God tells us in the Quran that some people have worshipped the devil. And you might say that, okay, yeah, there's some Satanists who are physically worshipping the devil. But again, there's a more subtlety to this. Because if we accept the devil's testimony over what God is telling us in the Quran, then we're setting up the devil as a God beside God. And if you read uh, Surah 36, verse 60, it says... Did I not covenant with you, O children of Adam, that you shall not worship the devil, that he is your most ardent enemy. In chapter 18 of the Quran, God describes individuals who've taken their property as an idol. Again, I don't think these people are bowing and prostrating to their property, right, their livelihood. Uh, We see that people have taken provisions as their idol. This is in Surah 68, verse 17 through 32, where people thought that the provisions they had was going to guarantee their success. We see that some people have taken the uh, prophets, messengers, and saints as idols. And this is very common. You see it in Surah 3, verse 79. It says, Never would a human being whom God blessed with scripture and the prophet say to the people, idolize me beside God. Instead, he would say, devote yourselves absolutely to your Lord alone, according to the scripture you preach and the teachings you learn. Another example, a common example of an idol, is our ego, right? Our our personal opinion. In Surah 25, verse 43, it reads, it says, Have you seen the one whose God is his own ego? Will you be his advocate? In chapter uh, 6, verse 19, it tells us if we uphold laws other than God's revelations, then we're setting up other entities as gods beside God. And this is also echoed in uh, Surah 9, verse 31, where it says, They have set up their religious leaders and scholars as lords instead of God. Others defied the Messiah, son of Mary. They were all commanded to worship only one God. There is no God except He, be He glorified, high above having any partners. And another example is we see secretarianism. Now, this is a strange one. If we in essence, are saying that, hey, look, I am a a believer. Anyone who believes other than me is no longer a believer. God actually calls this a form of idol worship. In Surah 30, verse 31, it says, You shall submit to him, reverence him, observe the contact person, salat, and whatever you do, do not fall into idol worship, like those who divided their religion into sects, each party rejoicing with what they have. And these are some of the examples that God put in the Quran for us to understand that idol worship is not limited, again, to bowing and prostrating to someone that we claim is a deity. Idol worship is designated by how we treat this other entity. And God tells us in the Quran, in Surah 51, verse 56, it says, I did not create the jinns and the humans except to worship me alone. So let's understand what does it mean to worship God or other than God? The Arabic word typically translated as worship in the Quran is abat, which means not only to worship, but also to serve as in a master-slave relationship. So if we consider anyone other than God as our master or think we're a slave of anyone other than God, then we would be falling into worshiping other than God. But there's another subtlety here. Usually when you think of a master-slave relationship, you think of compulsion. But what God tells us in the Qur'an is that this has to be done out of true conviction, voluntarily. For this relationship to be true, it needs to be voluntary and not via compulsion. If we consider the expression in the Qur'an, to obey God, the expression is Atayu Allah. The word ateyu means to consent, to do so voluntarily. Therefore, this would be voluntary obedience and not forced obedience if we wanna say that we worship God alone. In Surah three, verse 32, it reads, Proclaim, you shall obey God, I you Allah and the messenger. If they turn away, God does not love the disbelievers. So if we wanna be worshiping God, we have to obey God and we have to do this voluntarily. And we do this out of sincere love of God. Meaning as a believer, if we genuinely worship God alone, Not only do we obey Him over any other entity, not only do we serve Him over any other entity, but we love God more than we love any other entity. In Surah 2, verse 165, it says, Yet some people set up idols to rival God and love them as if they are God. Those who believe love God the most. Meaning that if we want to be genuine worshippers of God alone, we must love God more than any other entity and this is the reason that many people they end up setting up idols that rival god when they love their children more than they love god when they serve their job more than they serve god when they obey others over the commandments of god in each of these forms they're setting up these other entity as a god beside god our number one priority must be god alone if we give priority over any other entity over our worship and love of God, then we're setting up that other entity as a God beside God. And what's a mechanism that we can utilize to determine if we're doing this? I mean, obviously, giving priority, uh, uh, obeying, these are more uh, objective. But how do we know we love God the most? We know we love God the most not only when we give God the priority over uh, uh, all other things, but it's when we are the most thankful to God that we fully submit, we never object. In 2.172, it says, "'O you who believe, eat from the good things we provided for you, and be thankful to God if you do worship Him alone.'" In Surah 14, verse seven, it says, "Uh, "'The more you thank me, the more I give you, but if you turn unappreciative, then my retribution is severe.'" And this ties us with kind of the last uh, item that we know we're worshiping God alone, that we're worshiping God and not setting up any partners with God is that our sole intent is for God to be pleased with our actions. In Surah 76 verse nine, it says, we feed you for the sake of God. We expect no reward from you, nor thanks. So this indicates to us that the reason we do righteous work, that the reason we do follow the commandments is not because we're looking for accolades or pats on the back from this worldly sense. We do it because we want to please God, because God alone is the only one that matters. And this is because without God, there is no happiness. Without God, we have nothing. We cease to exist because God created us solely to worship Him alone. And the reason we consider God to be our only master, the only one worthy of our praise and glorification, and the only one we want to please is because we recognize that God alone provides for us and can make us happy. No other entity has this capability independent of God. According to the Quran, a simple definition of idol worship is to believe any other entity independent of God has the power to harm or benefit us. In Surah 10 verse 18, it reads, they worship beside God idols that possess no power to harm them or benefit them. And they say, these are our intercessors at God, say, Are you informing God of something he does not know in the heavens or the earth? Be he glorified, his most high, far above needing partners. So if we think anything independent of God has the power to harm or benefit us, then we are not worshiping God alone. If we think that our children can make us happy or bring sadness, or our job can provide for us and bring us joy, or anything else independent of God, then we're setting up that other entity as a God beside God. And thus, we're inadvertently worshipping them. In Surah 5 verse 76, it says, Would you worship beside God powerless idols who can neither harm you nor benefit you? God is here omniscient. So if we think anything other than God can harm or benefit us, that takes priority over God, that we love more than God, that we obey over God, That if we're disgruntled and unhappy with God's judgment because we think some other entity is in control, then God is telling us we're setting up a rival of an alternate God beside God. In Surah 10, verse 106 through 107, it reads, You shall not worship beside God what possesses no power to benefit you or harm you. If you do, you will be a transgressor. If God touches you with hardship, none can relieve it except he... And when he blesses you, no force can prevent his grace. He bestows it upon whomever he chooses from among his servants. He is the forgiver, most merciful. And in Surah 3, verse 160, it reads, If God supports you, none can defeat you. And if he abandons you, who else can support you? In God the believers shall trust. So to recap, what it means to worship God is that we ultimately, our aim in life is to serve God. If we think our aim into life is to serve any other entity other than God, then we're going to be falling into idol worship. That our uh, serving of God has to be voluntarily. That we do it out of love and appreciation because we realize that God alone is our source of joy. And the absence of God is the source of misery. And because of this, we make God our number one priority. If we fail to do this, we make our children our priority over God. You know, we love our money more than we love God, then we're setting up another idol next to God. So God willing, now let's look at the second way that people fall into idol worship by associating some other entity with God. Now, again, the mistake most people make is they think that as long as they don't call this other entity a a child of God or a part of God or a deity of any sort, that they're scot-free from committing idol worship shirk and we see that again this is a lot more subtle the word shirk simply means to make an association with god in surah 13 verse 36 it reads those who receive the scripture rejoice in what was revealed to you some others may reject part of it say i am simply enjoined to worship god and never associate any idols with him i invite to him and to him is my ultimate destiny if we associate any other partners with God, we are committing shirk. And again, the mistake most people make is they're thinking of these partners as if they're saying, okay, I have God and I'm setting up this other entity as a partner. You know, It's not about the word choice. It's about the actions. If we are making this perpetual association with any other entity in conjunction with God, then we're committing shirk. In Surah 4, verse 36 says, You shall worship God alone, do not associate anything with him. And this has no bearing if we say that this other entity is the slave of God, is the servant of God, is some uh, uh creature that has no power independent of God. If we have to perpetually make this association with God and some other entity, then we're falling into shirk. This principle is not confined to other deities it pertains to any possible partners that can be associated with God. Again, even if we claim that this other entity is subservient to God or merely a servant of God, it can still lead to an association. Many instances of historical idol worship demonstrate this pattern. This is why the Quran observes a significant portion of those who profess belief in God unknowingly engaging in idol worship. In Surah 12, verse 106, the majority of those who believe in God do not do so without committing idol worship. And this is the reason that on the day of resurrection, the idol worshipers are going to deny that they were ever idol worshipers. It reads in Surah 6, verse 22, it says, on the day when we summon them all, we will ask the idol worshipers, where are the idols you set up? Their disastrous response will be, by God, our Lord, we never were idol worshipers meaning that they're completely oblivious that they're worshiping idols. This is the tactic of the devil. He wants to obfuscate what idol worship is so people do not realize that they've fallen neck deep into it. The Quran provides numerous examples of what constitutes to associate something with God. For example, if we uphold a command contrary to what God tells us in his revelations, then we're setting up that other source as an idol next to God. We're setting up partners next to God. It reads in Surah 6, verse 121. It says, Do not eat from that upon which the name of God has not been mentioned, for it is an abomination. And it continues. It says, The devils inspire their allies to argue with you. If you obey them, you will be idol worshipers. Meaning that if God gives you a clear-cut commandment in the Quran to do X, and some other entity is telling you, to do why, and you choose to uphold that other entity, you've just set up an idol next to God. You've committed idol worship. And this is the reason that the Hadith, all these uh, stipulations that are put in there, these religious laws, the second someone upholds those, other than the revelations of God in the Quran, they're setting up a partner next to God. This is because God's revelations reign supreme. In Surah 6, verse 19, it says, Say, whose testimony is the greatest. Say, God's, he's the witness between me and you that this Quran has been inspired to me to preach it to you and whomever it reaches. Indeed, you bear witness that there are other gods beside God. Say, I do not testify as you do. There's only one God and I disown your idolatry. God is giving us his testimony in this Quran. Now, hundreds of years later, you have people like Bukhari, Muslim, Abu Dawood, saying, hey, I have testimonies from witnesses that the revelation is X, Y, and Z that contradicts the Quran. God is telling you, if you uphold those other sources, those other testimonies over the testimony of God in the Quran, then you'd be setting up idols to rival God. And this Quran is the one definitive book that we can say definitely came from the Prophet. Everything else is pure conjecture. And if God tells us in the Quran that his testimony is the greatest, and we choose to uphold the testimony of some other people that contradicts God's words, then we're setting that other entity as a God beside God. Other examples that God cites for us to identify, you know, that we don't fall into idol worship, is if we set up provisions for some other entity beside God. In Surah 6 verse 136 says, They even set aside a share of God's provisions of crops and livestock. Say, this share belongs to God according to their claims, and this share belongs to our idols. However, what was set aside for their idols never reached God. While the share they set aside for God invariably went to their idols. Miserable indeed is their judgment. This is because our commitment to God is indivisible. We have to be 100% committed to God. If we say, okay, I'm going to give 90% to to God, 10% to these other entities, as far as our worship, as far as our devotion, then it all goes to our idols and all our good deeds are nullified. And the way we know if we're content with God alone is that we should be absolutely satisfied with the mention of God alone. In Surah 39, verse 45 says, when God alone is mentioned, the hearts of those who do not believe in the hereafter shrink with aversion. But when others are mentioned beside him, they become satisfied. Now notice, this doesn't say, you know, worship beside him, strictly mentioned. Meaning that if we're only satisfied when the name of some human being or some saint or some other entity is mentioned in conjunction with God's name, then it shows that we're setting up a partner with God. Even if we say that this other entity is the slave of God. In Surah 72, verse 18 and 19, it says, The places of worship belong to God. Do not call upon anyone else beside God. When God's servant advocated him alone, almost all of them band together to oppose him. Say, I call only to my Lord. I never set up any idols beside him. Someone who's devoted to God alone, who doesn't set up partners next to God, only calls upon God in the places of worship, in his supplications, in his imploring. Now, if you go to any traditional masjid, right, not only do they add the Prophet's name in the, the uh, Adan, the call to prayer, in their tashahud, they say, salam alayka ayyuhan al-Nabi, that they're calling to the Prophet as if he's standing there listening to them. Again, they're calling other than God. And this is not a trivial matter. God informs us. Again, 4116, God does not forgive idol worship. If we associate partners with God, God is telling us he doesn't forgive us. Obviously, if we repent before we die, God can forgive all sins. But if we never realize that this is a problem, therefore we never repent for it, then all our good deeds will be nullified. God will not forgive us. And it continues, and he forgives lesser offenses for whomever he wills, anyone who idolizes. Any idol beside God has strayed far astray. So to recap, the two forms of idol worship we've covered so far. The first one is to serve any other entity over serving God. If we love any entity more than God, if we obey any entity more than we obey God, if we give priority to any other entity over the priority we give God, then we're falling into idol worship. And then secondly, if we make these associations with God and any other entity thinking that we can't mention God alone, we can't call upon God alone without mentioning some other entity, then in either of these situations, we would have fallen into idol worship. Now let's look at the last example from Surah 3, verse 64, the setting up of lords beside God. The essence of strict monotheism demands a direct connection between God and his creations, allowing us to pray to him directly without the need of any intermediary. The second someone sets up an intermediary between them and God, thinking that in order to have this connection with God, they need to go to some special agent who sits in between, then they're setting up lords beside God. This has been a significant contributor to how many of the people of the scripture in history have fallen into idol worship and remains a prevalent pitfall among many Muslims today. Many believers think they cannot have a direct connection with God without some scholar or religious teacher, that they're incapable of reading God's revelations, that God did not give them the hearing, the eyesight and the brain, and the book by which they're responsible for. And what they do is they outsource this critical assignment to some other entity, And go to that entity to get the answers. In Surah 9 verse 31 it says, They have set up their religious leaders and scholars as lords instead of God. Others defied the Messiah, son of Mary. They were all commanded to worship only one God. There's no God except he be he glorified, high above having any partners. If you think you need to go to some scholar, some mullah, some sheikh, in order to get God's guidance, You're setting up a human being as an intermediary between you and God and ultimately setting up a Lord, a Rab, between us and God. The Quran informs us that even the righteous among the intermediaries that the people set up between them and God are seeking a ways and means to God. And this is in Surah 17 verse 57. It says, even the idols they implore are seeking the ways and means towards their Lord. They pray for his mercy and fear his retribution. Surely the retribution of your Lord is dreadful. Those who think that they have to go to some Walia, some you know, friend of God in order to be able to get connected with God are setting up human beings as lords beside God. These righteous individuals that they may be, they themselves are seeking a nearness towards God. They have no say in the matter. They cannot guide anyone. This is because only God guides. In Surah 28, verse 56, it reads, You cannot guide the ones you love. God is the only one who guides in accordance with His will and in accordance with His knowledge of those who deserve the guidance. The Quran also provides another example of this. In Surah 39, verse 3, it reads, Absolutely, the religion shall be devoted to God alone. Those who set up idols beside Him say, We idolize them only to bring us closer to God, for they are in a better position. God will judge them regarding their disputes. God does not guide such liars, disbelievers. Again, if we think that we need some intermediary between us and God, that if I go to this entity, this entity is going to help me get closer to God, then we'll be setting up an idol next to God. In addition, to scholars and religious leaders, the most common intermediaries that people set up between themselves and God are the messengers. Ironically, this goes entirely counter to all the messengers' teachings throughout history. And this is depicted in Surah 3 verse 79, it says, Never would a human being whom God blessed with scripture and prophethood say to the people, idolize me beside God. Instead, he would say, devote yourselves absolutely to your Lord alone according to the scripture you preach and the teachings you learn. The most blatant form of this is the concept of intercession, where people think that by supplicating to the messenger via their salawat, that he's going to intercede on their behalf on the day of judgment. This entire premise comes from paganism. It's amplified in the Hadith literature, and it goes completely counter to God's message in the Quran. In Surah 36 verse 23 says, Shall I set up beside him gods? If the most gracious willed any harm for me, their intercession cannot help me one bit, nor can they rescue me. The prophets and messengers were incapable of interceding on behalf of their loved ones. They have zero ability to intercede on the behalf of any of us. They don't even know we exist. To think that they're going to come in and say, Yes, this person belongs as part of my ummah, and they're going to defy God's commandment is absolutely comical. This would imply that the messenger is more gracious than God. God is the only one who determines who goes to heaven and hell, and God's commands will never be changed. To think that someone is going to go and negotiate with God, as is depicted in the previous scriptures, is comical. This concept does not exist in the Quran. God reigns supreme, and no one no one can change his decision. Meaning that if God decides someone is going to heaven or hell, there's no intercession from any other entity that is going to impact that decision. That decision rests solely with God. And to think otherwise is setting up some Lord beside God. In Surah 2, verse 48, it reads, Beware of the day when no soul can avail another soul. No intercession will be accepted. No ransom can be paid nor can anyone be helped. The absurdity of thinking that any person will intercede on one's behalf on the day of resurrection is to think, firstly, that this other entity knows better than God regarding the righteousness of that person's soul, and that they deserve redemption if God chose not to give it to them. Two, it makes this other entity appear as if they're more merciful than God, God is the most merciful. God is the most gracious. So to think some other entity is going to intervene when God sends someone to hell and this other entity is going to say, no, God, send that person to heaven. That makes that other entity more merciful than God. In Surah 12, verse 64, we read Jacob's response to his children. It reads, he said, shall I trust you with him as I trusted you with his brother before that? God is the best protector. And of all the merciful ones, he is the most merciful. In Surah 16, verse 125, it says, Your Lord knows best who has strayed from his path, and he knows best who are the guided ones. In Surah 19, verse 68 through 70 reads, By your Lord we will certainly summon them together with the devils, and will gather them around hell humiliated. Then we will pick out from each group the most ardent opponent of the most gracious. We know full well those who are most deserving of burning therein. Secondly, when God decrees anything, no one can change his word. If God decrees paradise or hell for some uh, individual, it would be impossible for another entity to override God's decision. In Surah 18, verse 27, it says, You shall recite what is revealed to you of your Lord's scripture, and you shall not find any other source beside it. In Surah 9, verse 80, it says, whether you ask forgiveness for them or do not ask forgiveness for them, even if you ask forgiveness for them 70 times, God will not forgive them. This is because they disbelieve in God and his messenger. God does not guide the wicked people. And not only that, in addition, the messengers are entirely unaware of what took place in this world after their passing. This means they will have no clue who deserves redemption and who does not. In Surah 5 verse 109 it reads The day will come when God will summon the messengers and ask them How was my response to you? They will say we have no knowledge. You are the knower of all secrets. And specifically in the context of Muhammad he was unaware of who among his own people were hypocrites even when he was alive. This again shows that he would have been incapable even when he was alive of determining Which of his companions deserve redemption? It reads in 9 it says, Among the Arabs around you, there are hypocrites. Also among the city dwellers, there are those who are accustomed to hypocrisy. And it says, you do not know them, but we know them. We will double the retribution for them. Then they end up committed to a terrible retribution. The takeaway is that if we want to worship God alone, to not set up any partners with God, And to not set up lords beside God. The concept of thinking anyone will intercede on anyone else's behalf on the day of resurrection needs to be absolutely abandoned. In Surah 10 verse 18 it reads again. They worship beside God idols that possess no power to harm them or benefit them. And they say these are our intercessors at God. Are you informing God of something he does not know in the heavens or the earth? Be he glorified. He is the most high, far above needing partners. And this encompasses it. That if we set up intercessors at God, it means that not only are we worshiping other than God, but we're setting up this other entity that we are claiming has power independent of God because that is what intercession is. That we think that the prophet can come and change the outcome of something independent of God. And this goes completely against the entire foundation of strict monotheism. And in Surah 7 verse 188, this is what the messenger himself said. says, say, I have no power to benefit myself or harm myself. Only what God wills happens to me. If I knew the future, I would have increased my wealth and no harm would have afflicted me. I am no more than a warner and a bearer of good news for those who believe. So if you want to follow what the messenger said, this is the best hadith right here. He has no power to benefit himself or harm himself, let alone to be able to benefit or harm any other entity. And he doesn't know the future. This is all in the hand of God. He was incapable of guiding. God is the only one who guides. His sole duty was to deliver this message. Yet like so many generations in the past, They set up their prophets as lords beside God. And we can say definitively that the prophet did not come, destroy Alat, Al-Uzza, Manat, all these idols and say, hey, you know what, guys? Why don't you start declaring my name in the masjid? Why don't you start calling upon me in your salat? Why don't you start including me in your shahada? And oh, by the way, why don't you supplicate to me so I can intercede on your behalf on the day of judgment? And this goes 100% against the verses of God in the Quran. But ironically, this is the kind of stuff you read in the Hadith, which isn't a surprise because this is a, a source that is inspired by Satan to do command the complete opposite of what God commands in the Quran. So as idol worship is the only unforgivable sin, if maintained until death, it is absolutely critical that we assess ourselves and make sure we are not committing any of these three offenses, that we don't worship other than God, that we don't associate anything with God, and we don't set up lords between us and God, that if we can refrain from those three things, then by God's leave, we might be able to be redeemed back to God's kingdom. In Surah 3, verse 64, again, it says, Say, O followers of the scripture, let us come to a logical agreement between us and you that we shall not worship except God, that we never associate anything with him, nor take others as lords beside God. If they turn away, say, bear witness that we are submitters. And if we fail to do this, the Quran informs us that we will be amongst the worst losers as all our good deeds will be nullified. It reads in 18.103-104 say, Shall I tell you who the worst losers are? They are the ones whose works in this life are totally astray, but they think that they are doing good. Let's not deceive ourselves. Let's be honest with ourselves. Let's devote our religion to strict monotheism. Let's remove any aspects of idol worship that God willing, we may be redeemed. Inshallah, we're going to end there. If you guys want to get in contact Please join us on our Discord server. The invite link is below. If you want to follow along the verses of the Quran, please download the Quran Study app on the iOS app store. Uh, You'll see a full translation of the Quran plus a word-by-word translation so you can do research for yourself. And if you want notes from today's discussion, you can go to Quran Talk blog where you can find notes from today's uh, podcast as well as other topics. And uh, if you want more uh, real-time updates, please uh, follow me on Twitter at TalkQuran. And until next time, peace and God bless.